Anything that has been built has optimal conditions. Uh, for an example, I drive a Tacoma truck uh, to pull my trailer, and <clears throat> it's very sluggish. When I step on the gas, it moves slow, and the transmission transition is very slow. So I thought, maybe I got a wrong truck. It, I, I, I find out it was by design. Uh, Toyota designed a truck in such a way that when I'm pulling something heavy, the transmission will last long. So it was designed to go slow. Then I discovered when I reached uh, about 45 to 55 miles, when I reached that speed, I realized my truck is, has a, a sweet spot. I don't have to push the gas much, but it runs so smoothly. And uh, I find that gas is most uh, efficient at that moment. So that's what I call optimal conditions of my truck. So I try to drive in that speed range all the time. And I also got into landscaping photography. That's my latest hobby. And <clears throat> I invested several hundred dollars for a new lens. Uh, it's a 28-millimeter prime lens, f-stop 1.8, if, if you know anything about camera. <laughs> it's way over my budget, so... I can't buy the brand new one, so I bought a used one. But even used one cost me, was it $400 or something? Oh, $600. <laughs> <laughs> and the lens does make a big difference in terms of color and the focus and sharpness. And I also find out this particular camera at 28 millimeter f-stop 2.8, it takes the best picture. The sharpest, the color is most authentic. So that's what I call optimal conditions. And I ask these questions. What is the optimal spiritual condition of a believer? And I wonder what that is. Uh, Throughout my Christian growth, I heard many different concepts. What it means to be authentic Christian. Things like self-denial, abiding in Christ, Union with Christ, uh, Christ-likeness, or fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The numerous term uh, was uh, the way that I defined my goal of a Christian life. And then all this term does give me some directions, but it was never concrete and uh, realistic enough for me to have that picture, what it means to be that ideal Christian or the complete Christians. And recently, uh, as through studying of the book of Ephesians, I find out uh, what that is. That the optimal conditions for Christian is being filled with God. So today, I want to talk about how is that being filled with God is the optimal condition for Christians. And then second, what is being filled with God? And the third, how can we fill with God? Uh, before we get into this subject, I wanted to convince you why that message is relevant to you and why you should even pay attention to that message. Okay? Here's a reason. There, I could think of a two reasons why uh, knowing the optimal conditions for Christian is relevant and beneficial to us. 
knowing what most optimal, most ideal Christians is, uh, it, it will give you the sense of a purpose. And having that sense of a purpose will generate motivations and it will channel my energy to that direction. Uh, let me give you an uh, illustration of why having purpose will generate the energy in us. A uh, while ago, when I was in the ministry, <clears throat> I remember watching three uh, college students uh, bragging about how strong they are. So in front of everybody, they decided to do the, the uh, push-up contest. And it was very interesting. I, I told them, hey, it's kind of, kind of embarrassing in front of everybody. Don't do it. But they insisted on doing it. So the first guy who was well-built, probably best-built guy, he did doing a push-up. I think he did something like 30-some numbers. And he, he thought that he could outdo everybody. So he did a 30-something. The second guy was kind of medium-built. He said, okay, whatever I do, I just have to do one more than he did. So he was struggling when he comes to that 30-some number, but he wouldn't give up. So he barely did one more than he did. And the third guy was the smallest guy, the, uh, less muscular than the first two guys. Now he knows how many he has to do. So he struggled, but he wouldn't give up. He would rest a little bit, and then he did. So he ended up doing a five more than the second guy. Now, this illustration points out when we have some definite purpose, it generates motivation and the power in us. In our Christian walk, if we have clear sense of what it means to be uh, optimal conditions of being a Christian, it would generate motivation and the purpose in our life. A second reason why uh, you should be concerned or you should be interested to find out this optimal condition is this. Knowing our clear purpose of being uh, what our life should be, it will give you the yardstick to measure who we are now. It becomes the measurement of my progress. What kind of Christian am I? Where should I go? It will give us that clear sense of where I am. This is very important to know the condition of my relationship with God. Uh, sometimes, you know, many times we have the wrong yardstick, and therefore we have the wrong uh, remedy or wrong plan for our spiritual walk. Um, <clears throat> most expensive watch I ever had in my life was my wedding watch. And I was given this Omega watch. Uh, for Koreans, when they get married, uh, you get this Omega watch. Now, until today, I don't know how much it costs. I'm sure it's more than $1,000. And <clears throat> so I was so afraid of losing it or damaging it, so I only wear that certain occasions. And it turns out, one time, my, this, this very expensive watch was not accurate. <laughs> it was a few minutes off. So I was very disappointed. You know, whoever, you know this is supposed to be a very accurate, very expensive watch, and, but it's not accurate. 
So I puzzled. You know, I was puzzled. Why is this in- inaccurate? And I find out when I set up this in my watch, I set up according to the, my clock on my desktop. At the time, it was not a digital or internet connected. It was just an analog watch. And that clock was not accurate. So I set my, this expensive watch to inaccurate watch. Therefore, it was wrong. So if we have uh, inaccurate perception of what it means to be ideal Christian, complete in Christ, then we will have a wrong interpretation or wrong uh, erroneous pursuit of our spiritual life. So hopefully, having this understanding of what optimal condition of spiritual life is, it will give us motivations and the clear directions how we ought to live. Am I supposed to change the slide? Uh, okay, so I'm kind of familiar with those, all these texts. All right, wait. So, the key concept is this. Filled with God is the optimal conditions uh, for Christians. Now, <clears throat> why is that being filled with God is the optimal conditions of Christians, of believers? There are two reasons. Okay? The first reason is the location of the passage. Uh, this passage, the Paul's prayer, is in end of chapter 3. If you know anything about book of Ephesians, book of Ephesians describes what it means to be a Christian in a very complete, comprehensive way. It's divided into two sections. Chapter 1 to 3 talks about what do we need to know and believe? And second part, chapter 4 through 6, is about Christian behave. In light of what we know and what we believe, it tells how we should behave. Therefore, chapter 1 to 3 is describing how blessed we are. The key uh, verse is uh, verse 3. We've been spiritually blessed with all the spiritual blessing. And second part is about imperative, command, how we should behave. Now, this passage is located right in the death center, the end of uh, first part, chapter 3. Now, now, why is that significant? It's, it's significant because of this. In chapter 1 to 3, uh, Paul describes <clears throat> what God has done in our life and how, blessing, how blessed it is that we have been adapted as a children of God. What a privileged uh, position we have inherited. At the very end, he says that you may be filled with God. In other words, when God has chosen us and redeemed us, his end goal is that we'll be filled with God. And for the prerequisite for the second part, how we are to live as a Christian, Christian behavior, prerequisite is that we're being filled with God. In other words, once we are saved, when we are filled with God, it gives us that energy and the power to live out Christian living, the authentic Christian living. And the second reason why that filled with God is the optimal condition is this, is because this passage, if you look at it carefully, is a Paul's prayer. 
The book of Ephesians has three types of writing. Descriptions, the indicative statement, describing what God has done. And then imperative, command, uh, what we should do. Uh, Preserve the unity. Submit to your husband. Um, There's a lot of command. And then there's a third type of writing, which is prayer. And you wonder, why Paul reveals God's will in the form of a prayer. And I thought about it. In fact, there's a two prayer in the first part. Uh, end of chapter 1, that describes the great God's redemptive plan in chapter 1, first half, and then there's a prayer. And then he describes chapter 2, uh, what it means to be saved by grace, and then how God put its new, uh, uh, Jews and Gentiles are put in a new man creating a church, and then chapter 3, it talks about prayer. Prayer is God's desire for us. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is a God's desire for all believers. Now, then why did, instead of writing in a prayer form, why didn't he just say, command, be filled with God? But instead, he did prayer. I wish I pray to God that you may be filled with God. Why is that prayer form? Here's why. Being filled with God is something that is potentially possible, but is not automatic. Michael Jordan, I don't know if some of you new generation knows remember Michael Jordan, has a DNA. He he inherited his uh, physical body from your from his parents, has the ability to jump and stay in the air longer than anyone else. Okay? He has the coordinations. He has the speed. Right? But if Michael Jordan never played basketball in high school or college, he would never have been the great athlete of our time. He had a DNA, but he had to play it, practice it, and develop it. Being filled with God is something that is potentially possible for every Christian. Whoever accepted Christ, we inherited that spiritual DNA that we can grow and become filled with God. But it will not naturally come to us. There's something that we have to get involved. That's why it's a prayer form. So the prayer form is that God's sincere desire that we will become that optimal condition of the Christians. Now, why did he do that? Why didn't he just program uh, program us and uh, empower us so that we will have no choice but to fill with God? He did it because this aspect, being filled with God, was coming from our heart with our free choice that it will be loving God from all our heart. That's why he didn't uh, feel with God. I hope that we have that clear sense of directions, of what kind of Christians, what kind of life that I want to live. And I liked this the slogan, the U.S. Army slogan. What is that? Be all you can be. So if we were to ask ourselves, how can I be all that God intended to be, 
when God designed you and me and created us, He knew what will be the optimal conditions of a human being will be. Now, <clears throat> what does that mean to be optimal conditions? I could define it something like this. Optimal condition is a condition which we can perform the purpose of our design most efficient way. If we were to serve God and then serve the purpose of God, what is the most efficient, effective way to be? That is, filled with God. All right, then, what in the world is a filled with God? Uh, the word filled has a two different meanings in the Bible. One has a literal meaning. Another one is metaphorical meaning. Literal meaning is adding something to. That's what it means. The metaphorical meaning, meta, metaphorical meaning is different. And, and in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, it says, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the word filled is not used as a literal sense. It doesn't mean that we get more Holy Spirit quantitatively. What it means is this. Be controlled and empowered by Holy Spirit. So using that same sense, the being filled with God here also means a metaphorical sense. It means be controlled, dominated, and empowered by God. Now, how do, we, how do we be empowered and controlled by God? That's, the idea of being controlled doesn't seem very appealing. It feels like I'm losing my freedom. It feels like I'm becoming enslaved. Okay? Let me give you an illustration. Whatever that I am so pleased with, whatever that has the highest value in my life, whatever that... I enjoy the most has a power to control me. I remember uh, going to someone's uh, house. We had this fellowship, and <clears throat> we're just uh, killing time. And there were two brothers uh, talking about golf. And <clears throat> I never played a golf. I don't know much about golf. And these two guys talking about swinging, you know, the, the swing. And <clears throat> And about an hour later, they were still talking about swinging. <laughs> and from hearing from the side, I heard there's something like 18 points to consider when you're swinging. It's not just one swinging. There's a grip and length and all this. And they talked about uh, <clears throat> 18 different things too. And if I didn't stop them, they would probably go on talk even one more hour. If, if I could imagine what their life will be like, their life will be centered around learning, playing better golf. Their TV channel is probably glued to a golf club. I don't know if there's such a uh, channel. They probably subscribe to magazine, and their weekend is totally organized, planned around playing golf. They probably has all the statistics uh, about different golf players. They probably know all the golf courses around here in the world. You could tell their lives are controlled by golf. So anything that I put high value will control our life. 
If we are not controlled by God, we are not free. Something or someone will replace God and control our life. So, being filled with God means this. I consider knowing God or experiencing God or loving God highest value. When I do that, God will control me, empower me, dominate me. That is the optimal uh, uh, condition for believers. Now, let's, if you look at the uh, scripture more carefully, it says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Okay? May be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the question is, what is the fullness of God? What is the God of a, God is full of it? What we know from the scripture is that we can categorize the three aspects of God. One is divinity. This part is something that we cannot imitate or we cannot be, uh, follow that. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-presence. Okay? Divinity. Well, there's a one aspect that we, we, we have the uh, divinity aspect. You know what that is? Even though we are the created being, one aspect is a divinity, divine aspect is in us. That is eternity. Even though we had beginning, we have no end. We are created to be eternal being. So God is sharing that eternal aspect with us. But other than that, we cannot become all-powerful, all-knowing. The second part about God, which is full of it, is his moral character. God is good. Now, you try to define what good is. How do we define good? Our experience of good is not enough to define God because his goodness is far greater than our experience of good. But out of his goodness, his moral character uh, expressed, his faithfulness, kindness, his mercy, his just. Okay? Those moral characters are transferable to us. So when he says fear with God, means this. You are so controlled by God, empowered by God, dominated by God, that his moral character becomes part of you. What good indication of that moral character is a Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of God. So poor in spirit, pure in heart, um, hungry, hunger and thirsty for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are those meek, peacemaker, and merciful. And blessed are those who are persecuted. So, we need to be so controlled, dominated, and empowered by God in such that his moral character becomes part of us. And <clears throat> the third part that God is full of it is his happiness. God is perfectly happy, perfectly satisfied. He's not dependent on anything, and yet he is perfectly happy. So we are to be filled with God, with his moral character, and the end result will be his happiness. 
Now, looking back to our Sermon on the Mount, it says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, right? The word blessed can be also interpreted as happy is the man who is poor in spirit. In other words, there's a link between moral character and our happiness. So if we truly want to be happy and content and joyful, it has to do with our moral character. You would experience true contentment and the joy of living when your heart is loving, when you are caring. Isn't that true? When your heart sprang out, desire to love somebody, care for somebody, be patient with somebody, kind to somebody, you would experience tremendous joy and the contentment. So, by being controlled with God, we become more like Him in a moral character. As a result, we will experience a deep sense of peace, satisfaction, contentment of who we are, what we do. And this is the optimal condition of being what Christian is. And I find out this concept completes all the description we had about what it means to be an authentic Christian. Being filled with God is what it means to be abiding in Christ. Union with the Christ. This is what it means to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be Christ-like. This is what it means to be, in Ephesians chapter 5, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So God desired that we will be so dominated, controlled, powered by God each day that God will be reflected through our character. As a result, our life will be overflowing with joy. That sounds very abstract and theological. How do we make it practical? Oh, another way of saying being filled with God is this. When I am motivated by God's grace and driven for God's glory, and operating according to God's word, I am being filled with God. I am very much like a Paul, Pastor Paul. I am also a systematic thinking person, and abstract thing has to be concrete, and it has to be tangible. So all my life, that, that's been my striving effort. How do I make this truth real and concrete so I can live out? So I thought about, okay, filled with God. That seems to be still very abstract. How do I break down so that it's manageable and that I can practice in my life? And I break down the three ways that my life will be motivated by God's grace. What does that mean? You know, the motivation determines the commitment and dedications. So we need to ask this. This morning you came to church, right? You love God and you want to learn about God and you want to serve God. We need to ask this uh, questions. What is operating in me on a motivational level that I'm doing what I'm doing? You know, Christian can uh, uh, serve God and commit it to God for different, two different uh, reasons. One is because of his grace, what he has done to me. Or, legalistic way. 
I wanted to prove that I am somebody worthy to God. There was a human effort there. Okay? Now, in the outer appearance, it looks the same. And sometimes that legalistic approach seems to be more dedicated, more godly. But legalistic way has a limitations. It will burn out quickly. It will become very judgmental. If we are motivated by grace, hardship does not stop us because it's coming from the heart. Result does not discourage us. So I'm motivated by Christ's grace. So ask yourself, how great is your salvation? How much do you, how do you appreciate being a child of God? How excited are you that you have eternal hope? If we are motivated by God's grace, then what is the mission? What is the purpose that I'm living? I am driven for God's glory. What is it meant by God's glory? Making God known to me and known to others. When God is revealed, God is glorified. So what am I doing so that God will be exalted in my life, that I know him better? And what am I doing so that God can be proclaimed and revealed to the world? And I need to do this according to his will, God's word, because I could do the worthy goal in a humanistic way, in a wrong way, and cannot justify the means. So I need to follow his way. So when I'm motivated by God's grace, driven for his glory, and operating according to God's word, then I can say I am being filled with God. I'm controlled by God, motivated, uh, empowered by God. How do I make this uh, more tangible? What is the key to be filled with God? So there's how is filled with God possible. Now, if you look at that uh, prayer, it says, you may be filled. Uh, if you look at the verb, be filled, is what we call passive verb. It's not an active verb. So what do we know about the English grammar when the verb is a passive? What's the subject? Does the subject do the actions or the subject receive the actions? Right. So you may be filled, meaning that you receive the action. Who does the feeling? God. It's a passive verb. So being controlled, being filled with God is not my attempt, my approach. You may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, which God is doing, and you receive it. So being filled with God is an effect of something else. So we could say this. We need to be filled with God and by God. And what is that thing that I need to do so that God can fill me? So we need to go back to the passage again. If you look it up, uh, verse 18, it says, You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love is a surpassing knowledge. So the key to be filled with God is to knowing the love of Christ. 
And he described it in a very interesting way. You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. In verse 19, he said, you may know this, know this love. In verse 18, grasp. In other words, hold on to it. So, uh, Bible description is this. It's not enough to know the concept of love, but really get hold on to it. Make it yours. And then he describes how wide, long, high, deep. If you study a geometry, it's like a formula for the volume. Does Jesus' love has any volume? So what is it saying? It means this. It's not to learn just the love of Christ uh, theoretically or philosophically or theologically. We need to know this love in, so tangible, in, in a very tangible way that we can hold on to it. In other words, to experience it on an emotional level in our daily living. There's a difference between knowing the love and experiencing the love. There's a difference between knowing God and experiencing God. And this subject has been uh, my uh, interest all my life. What connects these two? How do I go from knowing to experience? Now, that's another subject. When we have time, we can talk about it. So, the key to be controlled by God, be filled with God, is to experience and visualize the magnitude of Christ's immeasurable love. Uh, you all know that Einstein is a brilliant man. You know, he, he, he's the one who discovered that time and the space uh, <clears throat> uh, is connected. We thought that time and space are different, but he discovered that. You know how he discovered? His brilliance comes from, I heard from his biograph, visualizing things. He's the one who sits in his uh, office or his uh, study room and visualizes this phenomena, physical phenomena, and how the time and the space and uh, the energy and the matter is all related together. He's visualizing, and that's he understands. And I find this to be key to understanding many new uh, complex concepts. When you learn something very complex, what do you do? You're trying to think through that, right? You're visualizing, oh, this is this, this is that, and trying to connect all this part and make sense. In many ways, experiencing God requires that visual, visualizations. You learn that God is incredibly good. He's loving. That we need to visualize His love we know that it's immeasurable, but it was somehow quantified so that I can understand, so that that could be relevant to me, so that it will touch my heart. That is the key to be filled with God. So the challenge for you and me is this. How do I visualize God's love for me? In such a way that it touches my heart, moves my feelings so that it will change my life, so that I may be filled with God. I want to share with you three ways. Who I am, who you are, okay, I got five minutes, is the expression of God's love. Let me say that again. How do I know that God loves me? Look at myself. Look at yourself. 
You are the evidence and the expression of God's love in three ways. Number one, the fact that you are living today, the fact that you are created is God's incredible love. Because we are created, because we are born, because we are living, we have an opportunity to experience living, what it means to live. Living, breathing, thinking, relating. That's God's love. Not only He gave us a chance to live, He created us a human being. I could have been a stone, a plant, or something, but I was created a human being. What does that mean? It means... I have a capacity to love somebody from the heart. When someone loves me, I have a capacity to be touched. And he gave us his mind to understand who God is. And he gave us the feeling to feel his goodness, to feel his pleasure. That's an incredible love. And then, like I just mentioned before, he created us an eternal being. Do you realize that we may get old and we may die someday, but our living, our existence will be eternal? The more I think about it, this is an incredible gift and blessing. And then he saved us. My salvation is expression is love. My heart is bended toward evil. And I have no capacity to resolve my sin problem. And God paid for my sin. By grace, he adapted me as his children. And then he justified me as if I never committed sin. And then he put me right, he let me sit right hand of his seat. He put in the highest, um, elevated me in the highest uh, positions, what I can be. So, more I think about it, more I, Ponder upon what it means to be saved, what it means to be child of God, what it means to be Christian is an incredible expression of God's love. And the third way I, I try to visualize His love is eternal heaven. What is heaven? Heaven is completion of all my desire. Heaven is where I experience the pleasure in a perfections. Heaven is where I no longer have any worries, anxieties, or fears. Heaven is where I can experience a, a true highest level of love, where the hearts will be connected to one another. And heaven is where I truly experience the reality of God. So when I think about my creations, my salvation, what is uh, uh, waiting for me in an eternal heaven. That's an incredible demonstration of love. Try to imagine this. Uh, someone said, look, I know you have a bad kidney and I have a perfect kidney. I'm going to give you a kidney to you so that you may live a little longer. It's okay if I die early. If someone has done that, Will you recognize it as a love? Or someone said, look, I have little fortune left. I'm going to give this money to you so for the rest of your life you don't have to work. Every month you can cash out $10,000 and you can live comfortably. What would you say to him? Okay. 
Or someone said, look, I will give you my youth to you so that I will die when I'm old, but because of the youth that I can give it to you, you can live another life, another generation. If someone ever done that to you, would you recognize it as a gift of love? When you think about what God has done in my creation and salvation in eternal heaven, He has done far greater than what anyone can do for my well-being. So the key to be controlled with God is not my sure will and determination that I want to be controlled by God and deny my desire so that I can be controlled by Christ. The, the key is to recognize and visualize What an incredible love and sacrifice God has done for me. And when I recognize how beautiful it is and how valuable it is, what does that mean to me? Then it naturally controls my life. I will be empowered by Him. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, the first one, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means this. Without God, I know nothing. I could do nothing. I have nothing. Therefore, I am nobody. But when I'm connected with God, I know the truth. And I have God who owns the universe. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Therefore, I am the child of God. When I realize that, naturally God will empower me and control me. So from this, I drive the, my life missions. And I wish I would have done this when I was young. If I'm being filled with God, I, I drive these life missions. Knowing, experiencing, and loving God is my highest value. Nothing is more important than this. It's my deepest pleasure. There are many pleasures in life. And pleasures are gifts from God. But the deepest pleasure, through those pleasure, is knowing how great God is, how good He is. And knowing, experiencing, loving God is my perfect security. Not my 401k, my, my, not my physical health, my, not my, my retirement plan, is knowing, loving God is my perfect security. So, I'd like to invite you to think about what will be your most optimal condition of being a Christian. It's not about how smart I should become or how much money that I should have or how much I should accomplish. It's about how God dominates my heart. And I hope that that will be your purpose and measuring stick to measure where you are today. Will you join me in a prayer? Father, more I learn about this world, more I study about your world, I realize how powerful you are, how great you are, 
how majestic you are and how beautiful you are and how good you are. Lord, there are so many things that I'm thankful for, what you have given to me. But none is more important than that you enlighten my heart and mind to know that you are living God, that you are God who is real. You are the ultimate reality of all reality. Thank you for make that, making that truth relevant to me. Lord, I pray for this young generation church. I pray that this church will grow spiritually, numerically, and then making an impact to our society so that they will reach out their generation and their next subsequent generations. Lord, thank you for people who are committed to serve you, people who love you, to worship you. May Christ be exalted through this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.